We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. One guest on the show today, Kevin Willard, the head Maryland basketball coach, will jump on with us. The Terps had a big win last night at Xfinity Center in College Park, 66-55 over Indiana, who had won five in a row, and they came in ranked 21st in the country. Maryland is rolling at home right now, undefeated in the Big Ten. They very much look like an NCAA tournament team, and it was a convincing win last night over Indiana. So Kevin Willard will jump on with us next segment, uh, and we'll talk about last night's game and where he sees this team Headed, uh, And then in the final segment of the show today, I'm going to do the 40-year anniversary of Super Bowl 17. I promised that uh, I would get to that this week. I didn't have time to do it on the actual anniversary date, which was Monday, January 30th. Uh, Washington's first Super Bowl came January 30th, 1983 in Pasadena in the Rose Bowl, 27-17 to winners over Miami. I'm going to take you through that entire game as Dick Enberg and Merlin Olson called it on NBC. I'd much prefer using the Sam Sonny Frank um, call, uh, but those are kind of masked by a lot of NFL films music. Uh, The raw call of that is not available anywhere that I can find. But the actual Super Bowl game, Super Bowl 17, the entirety of that game is available on YouTube. And I went back and watched the whole thing. And I'm going to tell you, as I told you earlier this week, there is a play in this game that I am pretty sure that most of you don't remember. And so uh, it's a play that with replay would have been challenged. The call on the field would have been overturned. And I don't think it would have had an impact on the final score of the game. I think Washington would have still won the game. But it could have led to a different ending. Uh, You'll hear what that is when we get to that in the final segment of the show. Uh, Thank you to all of you who keep rating and reviewing us, especially on Apple and Spotify. Um, From Spaceman62, superb Absolutely superb, great podcast. 
Thank you, Spaceman62. He gave us five stars. If you haven't done it yet and you don't mind doing it, you can pause us right now, take 30 seconds on Apple, give us five stars, write a quick one to two sentence review. It's very helpful. So many of you have done it uh, upon my request, and it's much appreciated. It's really, really helpful when it comes to um, these uh, these spots um, that we do during the show. Yes, some of these spots are certainly interesting, um, but they pay the bills, um, and uh, we're glad to have them. We really are. So uh, before I get to Kevin Willard and before I get to the 40-year anniversary of Super Bowl XVII, uh, I guess the combo of Sean Payton and Tom Brady to Washington isn't going to happen. I mean, that was my guess, is that that was a super long shot. But I thought the reporting and the timing of the reporting was interesting because it was looking like Sean Payton might get stuck without any place to go. Um, but uh, Sean Payton is going to end up being the head coach of the Denver Broncos. Um, and Tom Brady retired today. Uh, and it sounded official, but it kind of sounded official a year ago, didn't it? I mean, what will happen this summer if a team looks really good on paper but loses a quarterback? You know, it's funny about Tom Brady. I thought last year was like the perfect time for him to retire, even though I thought he was still a good quarterback. The funny thing about this year is that I think he can still play, and I think if you put him on a team like San Francisco, like Miami, um, you'd have a really good chance next year to win big uh, in maybe one final season for Brady. But he's got young kids. He's just recently gone through a divorce Tom Brady, the GOAT. He is the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time. He's the greatest, in my opinion, and I'll have more of this conversation with Tommy tomorrow. Okay, I promise we'll do a lot on Brady uh, tomorrow, and I think we probably did it a year ago, and I probably should go back and listen to that show to make sure that I remember what I said. But what I think I said is what I'll say right now. He's the greatest winner of all time in the history of the NFL. Him and Bill Russell are the two greatest team sport winners. Throw Jordan into the mix. Um, but I personally believe that as a you know 50-year watcher of the NFL, I think he's the greatest winner. I think he's one of the greatest competitors of all time. But if we were to just, say, take a season – with a decent football team and pick one quarterback to be the quarterback of that team for that year, I think there are quarterbacks that I would take in front of Brady. I think I would take John Elway in front of Brady. I think I would take Dan Marino in front of Brady. I think I might take Joe Montana in front of Brady. Um, but it would be coin flip choices. I, I just don't think that Brady is the slam dunk greatest quarterback that I've ever seen. He's the greatest winner that I've ever seen, making him the greatest of all time. Nobody's ever going to match his winning. Nobody. Nobody's going to ever match the numbers or the postseason numbers that Brady has amassed over the years. But, you know, in terms of quarterbacks from today, Mahomes is a more talented quarterback and could end up not being as accomplished as Brady from a Super Bowl and a playoff perspective, although I certainly think Mahomes has a chance to get two, three, four 
over the next you know 10 years of his career. Um, Aaron Rodgers has been a quarterback we've all watched. Aaron Rodgers is a more talented quarterback than Brady, just not the winner that Brady's been. You know, Brady benefited from Belichick and a great defense early on in some of those Super Bowls, and Belichick and that defense benefited from Brady as well. But, you know, they had a lot of close calls in those Super Bowls, but then again, they lost a couple that were close calls. I mean, David Tyree, you know, if he's going to pull that in, you know, it's another one for New England and Brady. I just think, and again, I want to save a lot of this conversation for tomorrow. Um, It's one of the most amazing careers in our lifetime that we've ever watched as sports fans. Um, 45 years old and the amount of winning and the greatness, you know, trust me, what I've just talked about doesn't diminish, it shouldn't diminish the greatness of Brady as a quarterback. I mean, his mind was light years ahead of most defensive coordinators, most defensive players, most quarterbacks that have ever played the game. Peyton Manning as a regular season quarterback was Tom Brady's equal, but Peyton Manning was not Tom Brady's equal in the postseason. But Peyton Manning also didn't maybe play on some of the teams that were as well coached or as good as as good defensively, especially in some of those early years that New England was. But New England, you know, close call against the Rams, close call against the Panthers, got a little bit lucky against Seattle. You know, we can go through the list. You know, they weren't all super convincing, and really their best team, their 2007 team, lost the Super Bowl. Um, But I do consider him, yes, on the Mount Rushmore of quarterbacks, an absolute one of the four and the greatest winner of all time in team sports history when it comes to, you know, along with Russell, you know. Um, But but an incredible career. And I do kind of got – I get the sense that it's over. I do. Uh, Meantime, um, Washington – uh, does not have an offensive coordinator as of the recording of this podcast. Um, they have interviewed Anthony Lynn uh, per reports, the San Francisco 49ers assist- assistant head coach and running backs coach. So that's the sixth candidate that they've interviewed. No interview yet officially of Eric Bieniemy, um, but Washington's now interviewed Zampezi, Shermer, Charles London, uh, Eric Studsville or Studsville, Thomas Brown, right, and Anthony Lynn. Those are the six that have been interviewed so far. But again, no news in terms of, as of the recording of this podcast, any announcement on the offensive coordinator. I'm I'm going to stick with my prediction. My prediction being Shermer or Zampezi with a lean towards Zampezi and no real new money. You know, and I think that's kind of where uh, they will uh, end up. Um, but yes, to those of you who tweeted me to say, boy, that was a waste of time on the Rex Ryan stuff. No, it wasn't. It wasn't a waste of time. Uh, it was an interesting take, and it came off of two interesting takes last week. N- neither one of us, t- neither Tommy nor I, bit into this being real or this happening. We both came to the conclusion that it won't happen, a definitive conclusion, but we don't know anything about this ownership situation. That's the wild card in all of these conversations. We don't know how close they're coming. 
um, to a new owner, to picking one of the several bidders. We don't know the time that will be involved. We know that Jay Glazer, you know, reported that it will be a fast-tracked, potentially end of March. Well, end of March could mean curtains for Ron Rivera and everybody in that building. It could. And they start filling it up with football people and business people, and they keep a couple of key uh, key people to make the transition, uh, you know, uh, seamless or you know as seamless as Washington can make it. But we don't know the relationships that Washington has, and um, uh, or, I'm sorry, that the new uh, it, it, the the new owner has right now, who whomever that person is. We don't know that they aren't planning a total redo day one rather than waiting a year. One other thing that I wanted to get to real quickly was ESPN uh, put out their top 50 free agents for the upcoming offseason. Lamar Jackson's one. Orlando Brown Jr., the tackle from the Chiefs, is two. Javon Hargrave in Philadelphia is three. He had a hell of a year. And then Deron Payne is four. I mean, he's ahead of, you know, Geno Smith, Saquon Barkley, Daniel Jones, um, James Bradbury, um, you know, he's a Josh Jacobs, Tremaine Edmonds, Tony Pollard, Marcus Daven- Davenport. He's in front of a lot of guys. So their, you know, group, um, Matt Bowen was part of evaluating all the free agents, had Deron Payne as the fourth best free agent um, in the upcoming uh, free agency period in the NFL. Uh a lot of you have suggested to me that Deron Payne did it in a contract year. You can't trust him, just like Albert Hainsworth. Remember this. Albert Hainsworth was not a good guy. Albert Hainsworth was also a guy that the coaching staff and the organization didn't know. He came from another team. Deron Payne, they know. You know, this group is going to be the group that's going to be able to tell anybody including Duran and his agent, hey, we either trust it or we don't trust it. I'm not suggesting that that's how they would handle negotiations, but they know. You know, I think Duran Payne was a good player in his first few years. I think he was a great player this year. And you should be somewhat suspicious about a player having his career year in a contract year, but it doesn't mean that that's the only reason he had that great season and that he's going to revert to being a good player after he signs this deal. It could be that he was a young player learning and developing, and this truly was the timing of his breakout. But we don't know him the person. Just like Washington didn't know Albert Hainsworth, the person. But the people out there know Deron Payne. They've been with him. They drafted him. Well, not this group. But he's been with the organization. Jack Del Rio knows Deron Payne. Okay, they know. Ron Rivera knows Deron Payne. Now, again, the ownership situation makes everything murky in terms of what they'll be allowed to do, etc., I personally would like Deron Payne back. I'd also like them to look at extending Cam Curl. I think he's a significant player for them as well. I would put them at the top of the priority list, and I don't want to forget Montez Sweat because I think Montez Sweat still has a chance to get better and better and become a dominant pass rusher. I think he's already outstanding against the run. And we'll save Chase Young for another day. Kevin Willard, the Maryland basketball coach, next right after these words from a few of our sponsors. I do want you to know that my bookie right now Uh, has a designed deposit bonus that is unique. It lets you cash in and cash out quickly. It's a unique deposit bonus for sports bettors who want to focus on what to bet and not a payout sweat. 
Make your first deposit today with my promo code, KevinDC. Wager your deposit amount once, and then you're eligible to cash out. Okay, so put your deposit in. All right, and then you'll get it out once you bet it one time. If you want a sports book that gives you the most for your money, bet on the big game with my bookie. Pre-game, live lines, Super Bowl prop bets, everything you need for the Super Bowl is there. Bet everything from the opening coin toss, the length of the national anthem, to the color of Gatorade dumped on the winning coach. Uh, I can't tell you right now who exactly is going to win the Super Bowl, but I can tell you where I and you should be placing your bets, and that's with my bookie. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie at MyBookie.ag. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Been a beast in that post. See with the jump hook again. Oh, what's going on? Dante Scott last night from the post. Dante had a bunch of moves, including that old school up and under. Uh, Maryland rolled Indiana last night, 66-55. to The Terps have won three in a row. That stopped Indiana's five-game winning streak. Joining me right now is the head coach of Maryland, Kevin Willard. A lot of people, including yours truly, starting to get excited about the way you guys are playing, but we'll get to the bigger picture stuff here coming up. Let's start with last night. Why did you beat Indiana? Yeah, I mean, I, I think our defensive intensity over the last, uh, I'd say, three weeks has really gotten back to where we were at the beginning of the season. And 
uh, you know, being at home, having the student section, having the home crowd, uh, kind of get get behind a lot of local kids. I think it's really helped us kind of get focused and get our defensive intensity back. You know, I read what you had said about Trace Jackson Davis before the game. You called him not just the best player in the league, but the best player in America. And you had just faced Zach Eady at Purdue. So I was curious as to how you were going to guard him last night. Um, and this guy had been on a tear. I mean, I, I went through some of, his, some of his numbers yesterday. He had a 25-21 game. He had an 18-24 game. That's 18 points 24 boards he had 35 and 9 um I mean he's just been dominant recently and I was I was interested to see how you would guard him and if you would double him a lot and you guys did double him a lot and I'm curious from a coaching perspective when you've got a big guy that's been that good but is also a really good passer talk about the challenges of double teaming a player like that yeah I mean I think that's what you know it's funny you know we we played Purdue last week, and Big Zach had, I think, he had twenty-eight and twelve on us. Yeah, and he's almost, he's almost impossible to double because of where he catches the ball uh, and his size. You know, for Trace, it was a little bit more. Um, he, you know, he, he had he, going into the game, he was almost getting five assists per game. So um, it was either let's try to make everyone else beat us, or, or see if he can beat us. And um, I just thought the level of play that he's playing at right now that. Um, we had to get the ball out of his hands. We had to get the ball out of his hands early, um, not let him see, and, and just kind of, kind of frustrate him as much as possible. You talked about the defense um, being the key last night, and it's been so good here recently. Uh, I think it's been pretty good most of the year. Um, and for those of us, you know, uh, who are big fans uh, that watch every night, you know, we know that you run this two-two-one full court press, and you know, you use it a lot. And sometimes it's kind of turnover causing and havoc wreaking, and sometimes it's it isn't. You know, sometimes teams handle it. But I want you to speak to for you know the fans that don't understand necessarily the benefits of full court pressure when you're not turning the opponent over. What are you getting out of it? Yeah, I mean, I think that's you know, I think a lot of people or a lot of fans, you know, when you talk about pressing, they think oh they're going to see turnovers and steals, and you know, in reality, in today's game, with as good a coach as as there are, you know, pressing is. It's more about wearing down your opponent. It's about the long game. Um, you know, you're going to give up a layup. You're going to give up an easy three um, early in the game. But uh, even last night against Indiana, they have a, an unbelievable freshman point guard. But you know, he's never seen 40 minutes of pressure. So for us, it was more about um, let's get them uncomfortable. Let's make them see something they haven't seen all year. Let's make them adjust to us. Um, and again, you know. Maybe as talented as a freshman is during the country, he goes one for fourteen. You know, after two two days before, he scored twenty four points against Ohio State. So that's kind of what the press is designed to do: is kind of wear you down, uh, just get on your nerves more than anything. You know, and you know when you get an open shot, you know you're not in rhythm. Kevin Willard joining us on the show right now. Maryland, a 66-55 to winner last night over Indiana. The Terps are undefeated at home in Big Ten play. Uh, they're now 6-5, and five, by the way, in the league with the next two on the road at Minnesota Saturday night and then at Michigan State 
on Tuesday night. I mean, just the continuing uh, unrelenting road venues that you have to go to. I'll ask you uh, about that actually in a little bit. But I wanted to ask you about one point in the game last night because Indiana got on a roll in the first half and they took like a seven or a nine point lead. It was either 22 to 15 or 22 to 13. And you called a timeout. And from that moment on, it was basically Maryland's night the rest of the way. What did you say during that timeout? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the biggest thing that I've learned about this team is that, you know, this team gets a little, um, at times, nervous at home. And, you know, we have a lot of local kids, which is great. Um, and we, we, you know, against UCLA, we started, you know, started off good, and all of a sudden they went on a run. And then we got really, really kind of nervous and tight. And so all I did during the timeout, man, I just, I just try to make them laugh a little bit, try to get them to relax. Um, get them kind of focused back on just, you know, playing basketball and having a little bit of fun and, um, you know, told some jokes, made everybody laugh. <laughs> you um, did. What, just, jo- what jokes did you tell? I just, I, you know, it, I just told them to try to make the, you know, if someone could make the shot, it, it would really make the, the old ball white guy <laughs> on the sideline happy. So, right. Um, yeah, because they had just, open, you know, they had open shots, and they weren't, and they weren't going down. So, do you? Uh, I didn't mean to interrupt because I should have let you finish. But do you use your sense of humor a lot uh, as kind of a way of communicating in those moments? Yeah, I mean, I, I think every team's different, you know. So, but this team, I've come to realize that they 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 get a little they get a little tense, they get a little nervous, and I think sometimes yell, yelling and screaming is not the way to go. And with this group, they're they're such a good group of young men. Um, sometimes I, I just need them to relax a little bit and just let their natural talents come out. And so, um, you know, it, it just, it would just seem like the right moment where we started getting a little anxious, you know, we're at home, big crowd. We don't want things to go the wrong way. You know, they start thinking that way. And for me, it was kind of like, Hey man, let's, let's, let's all take a deep breath. And they're a good team. They're going to make some buckets on us. Let's just, let's just smile and go out there and play good basketball. I think that's interesting because, you know, some coaches, it's all about what their system is, about what their personality is. And what you just described, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you've got the ability to kind of judge who you're looking at and these young men that are sitting in front of you at a timeout and to handle it with either sense of humor or, you know, have you had teams where screaming and yelling is the best way to get through to them? Yeah, oh yeah. I've had a lot of teams where screaming and yelling was the best way. But I mean, you know, I, with this team, and, and again, us being new, um, I know we're not. You know, I know we're five months into the season, but you know, we've only been together for seven months. Right. You know, um, even even different lineups with this team, you know, I, I've had to be different. So, um, I think figuring out your kids' personalities, figuring out your team's personalities, is just as important as your personality. And there's times in, in games that you know you have to be a little bit stern, or there's times in games where you have to get your kids to relax and just. Let them enjoy the moment. Let them enjoy a great crowd playing a, a big time program. Um, I just wanted them to get back to focus on just playing and not being so nervous about what's going on in the game. Um, let's talk about Julian Reese. Uh, what's been the difference with him lately here over the last four or five games? I think the big thing everyone forgets is you know, you know, he popped out his shoulder in the first five minutes of the UCLA game, um, and he missed you know two weeks. So you know, he didn't practice from. December 15th, all the way up, up into a day before the Michigan game. So um, he's just getting back healthy. I mean, he's healthy. He's got a good rhythm, got great confidence. He's playing terrific. Um, he just went through, unfortunately, you know, when big guys miss 
more than a week, it really just, it, you know, it, it kind of puts him back. And, you know, he's only a sophomore. He's playing big-time minutes. He's playing against some of the best big guys in college basketball. And I, I think he's playing fantastic basketball. I mean, the, the gauntlet of Dickinson, uh, Edie, and then, you know, Trace Jackson Davis last night. He really, in this league, is facing the best big men, you know, certainly a, a significant percentage of the best big men in America. And I think one of the things, just observationally from my standpoint, I've seen him calm down a little bit more in recent games, not get as frustrated, you know, with a, with a foul or, or, or a perceived foul. Um, has that been part of your emphasis? Emphasis to get him to be a little bit less, you know, emotional uh, in those frustrating moments. Yeah, I think I think more than anything, what I've what I've tried to you know, again, he, he you know he only played eighteen minutes a game last year. Right. Um, you know, he got subbed in, got subbed out. Um, now he's a starting center. He's you know he knows how much we depend on him. And I think the biggest thing that that Julie and I have talked about is you know your, your guy's going to score on you. You're playing against. Hunter Dickinson, you're playing against Zach Eady. I feel like you're going to get dunked on. Like, it's okay. Like, you know, you just got to let it roll off your back and go back down the other end and, and go right back at him. And I think as he's played against these guys and he's battled against these guys, I think he's come to realize, like, it's okay if my guy scores on me, you know, as long as I'm out there battling and doing what I'm supposed to do. Um, and I think that maturity and the fact that when he gets scored on, now it's not that big of a deal because. You know, it's going to happen when you're when you're going in and you're playing these guys. You're going to give up a bucket, so don't worry about it. Go back down to the other end, you know, and go right back out. And and I think he's got that mentality where now, um, you know, if he gets scored on, he wants the ball. He, we're going to go right back down. We're going to throw it right back down to him. I'm guessing, uh, and I think I asked you about him very early in the season, but I I really love watching Emilian come in uh, and play. What does he provide your team? Yeah, Pat's been terrific. I mean, you know that, that's been been one of the things that you know Pat's you know battled a, a bad toe and an ankle, um, and when he's healthy, he just gives us such a, a, a different dynamic on the court. And the fact that he's undersized, but you know he knows how to play the game so well. Yeah, he really under he understands our defensive schemes. He's an older guy. Um, I can put him at the power forward. I can put him at the center spot. Um, you know, he's he's an unselfish young man. Um, and, you know, the biggest thing is he just kind of he really knows how to play. He makes everybody on the court so much better. Um, all right. Well, it's February. Uh, it's the home stretch month of the regular season. You've coached long enough to know what you have in a team at this point. You're playing your best basketball of the year. So tell me right now what your gut is. You know, what's your sense of what you have and where this thing's headed? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I really like where, where we are. Um, you know, we went through – We've struggled on the road putting 40 minutes together, but, um, you know, for this team to come through and, and kind of battle, um, you know, I think an extremely tough, you know, we've already played Michigan twice. We're going to end up playing, we played Wisconsin twice. We're going to end up playing Purdue twice by the middle of this this month. Um, you know, I think these guys have really battled. I think they're understanding who they are, which I think is important. I think, you know, Kevin, the one thing that I've always said is that, you know, sometimes it takes a while for your team to understand who they are. And I think they're starting to understand, you know, who they are and what they have to what they have to bring on the defensive end every night. Do you pay attention to, you know, the the advanced, you know, numbers, the Ken Palm numbers, the net rankings, you know, any of the bracketologists that are out there? Is that something that you look at and communicate to your team or is it too early to do that? 
No, but I started looking at that in, in November. Um, you'd laugh right now. I got my laptop open. I have my Kempon page up right now. Oh, you um, okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's something that you know it really helps. You know, again, you know, as stupid as this sounds, like you know, when we lost a couple in a row on the road, you know, I I printed out our Kempon page and I showed them where we were and I showed them what we were doing well. I showed them that we had the hardest conference schedule up to date in the Power Five. So. Um, those things can be very good for a team to get them to understand all the analytics, all what people are talking about. It can also explain to you, hey guys, this is why we're playing bad because we've had a really tough schedule. So let's just focus on, you know, you know, keep on working, and eventually the schedule will turn around for us. Which you know, we got some home games and it has. Your Ken Palm number right now is exactly where your net number is. You're at 31. Um, right now uh, in the country and climbing. I mean, right now, you know, and I I look at this almost every single day as well to see where we are. And, you know, you've got a schedule left, and and I, I hate to be the person to say to you that it doesn't look as daunting as it did, you know, in December and parts of January, although Penn State's playing so well and Northwestern's playing so well. So it's probably going to be a a pretty tough road. But you guys right now look very much like an NCAA tournament team. I would assume that you would agree with that, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you just look at, you know, our non-conference schedule wins, who we played non-conference-wise, plus who who we've beaten in conference, um, I definitely agree with that. You know, I think, you know, Lenardi has us as a nine or an eight seed right now. Um, you know, the way I look at conference schedule is not who you're playing. It's more or less about uh, home and away. And I think, you know, I agree with you in the fact that I think we have a much more balanced home and away schedule for the rest of the conference schedule, which I think is better. Uh, who we're playing in this conference, I, I know it sounds stupid, but I think it's irrelevant because everywhere in this conference is so good. Yeah, what has been, you know, you, you haven't gone through the entire 20 games of a regular season or the Big Ten tournament yet, but being, you know, having been, been a Big East guy for so long, what's been your impression of the Big Ten so far? Yeah, it's a gauntlet, man. Um, it's the real deal. I I, I, I saw, um, I told Matt Painter, I said, man, I, I said, I got total respect for, for you guys that have been in this conference for 10, 11, 12, 18 years because... Um, the, you know, I think the biggest difference is the size, um, and it's not just it's not the center spot. You know, last night, you know, Indiana had you know their wings were six seven, six eight. Point guard was six six. Um, I think the overall size of the conference, and it's um, it's every opponent. You know, every opponent has just big wings. It's a physical league. Um, it's an extremely well coached league, and so um, I just have a lot of respect. You know, a guy like Tom Izzo has been doing this for so long. I just, you know, he should be in the Hall of Fame three times. Yeah, it's, you know, as an ACC, as a person who was an ACC guy his entire life, because Maryland was in the ACC for much of my life, um, it's taken me a while, but man, I think top to bottom, even though Cameron Indoor and the Dean Dome and U-Haul and Little John, there were great, you know, opposing arenas. I don't think there as many as there are in the Big Ten. It seems like everywhere you guys go, maybe with the exception of Northwestern, you know, in terms of atmospheres, they're incredible. I mean, you were at Purdue a couple of weeks ago. I mean, that place is incredible. If Minnesota was good this year, that place, the barn, is incredible. What's been your impression of kind of these road atmospheres? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know, we played at Iowa during the Christmas break. 
I think it was a Saturday. Maybe it might have been a Sunday game. Yeah, it was a football oh, Sunday, yeah. Yeah, it was Sunday at 4.30, so I was thinking, you know, maybe they won't have that good of a crowd. And I mean, everywhere on the road, they get there about an hour and a half early. It's sold out. It's packed. Um, Purdue was the loudest the loudest gym I've been in in a long time. Um, I think that's what makes what makes this conference so great is uh, when you go on the road, you know, you're, you're not only playing against good teams, but, man, you're going to great atmospheres. And, you know, all the guys that have played, you know, I had a couple guys that played at different conferences. They've just loved the atmosphere. They think, it, you know, it's really what college basketball is all about. All right. Uh, it's been fun here the last couple of weeks. Keep it up. Best of luck Saturday night, you know, up in Minnesota. And, uh, and we'll talk soon, hopefully. Congrats on, on the win last night. I appreciate it, Kevin. Thank you so much. Maryland head basketball coach Kevin Willard, everybody. The Terps are rolling. Uh, they they can't lose, it seems like, at home. Uh, they're going to have a big, big game at home coming up on February 16th against Purdue. Uh, I hope Purdue is still the number one team in the country at that point um, because I don't think, and some of you can correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think Maryland has played a number one team at home since they entered the Big Ten. I think that's true. Uh, I know that they played Wisconsin one night when they beat Wisconsin when Wisconsin was two or three. I think Iowa one night was ranked two or three. I don't think Michigan State's been number one um, coming into the building. I don't think so. Um, It was on the regular, you know, it was virtually guaranteed that every season, if not every other season in the ACC, they were going to face a number one Duke or a number one North Carolina. Uh, But I don't think they have faced a number one uh, at home anyway in the Big Ten. Um, So if Purdue keeps winning and they play Indiana coming up, um, Purdue's awfully good, and Maryland gave them as, as tough of a test as they've had in the Big Ten, um, other than Rutgers actually beating them. Uh, but um, they play in College Park February 16th. It's a 6.30 start. I hate those 6.30 starts um, with the traffic we have on a weeknight here. Uh, but uh, that could be the first, I think, the first number one team um, that they've played at home since uh, since entering the Big Ten. But I'm impressed with the job Willard's done. Really impressed. They've been a good defensive team all season long. I think one of the keys offensively, and I didn't bring this up with them, I should have, they have bec- begun protecting the basketball so well. Their turnovers are way down. They had zero turnovers in the first half last night. I think they're averaging in their four wins here recently less than eight turnovers a game. That's, that's huge for them because because in some of those blowout losses, they were turnover fests. All right, uh, up next, I promised that I would go down memory lane uh, for the 40th anniversary of Super Bowl 17. I'll do that when we return, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Under ideal conditions, these are the facts. Miami Dolphins are a three-point favorite over the Washington Redskins. They're similar teams. They both like to stay on the ground first, then go to the pass. They both love their defense. The winners today will go home with $36,000 per man. The losers earn $18,000. Those are the facts. Merlin Olson, the feelings. Feelings are that the waiting is almost over. Washington has waited 10 years to get here. And, of course, uh, the Miami Dolphins have waited nine years to get back to here. And in all of the pain and all the preparation, this week it's a matter of getting out on the field and kicking it off it's time to go to work the voices of dick enberg and merlin olson that day 40 years ago monday uh i told you i would get to this this week we just haven't had time um but to celebrate and to remember the 40-year anniversary of washington's first super bowl title super bowl 17 the win over miami 27 to 17. Yeah, the Dolphins were three-point favorites. They were excellent defensively uh, heading into that game, but they were not a great offensive football team that particular season. They had David Woodley at quarterback. This was the year before Marino. Remember, the upcoming draft after this Super Bowl, the 1983 draft, featured at the end of the first round Dan Marino to Miami and Daryl Green to Washington. So Marino and Daryl Green were not in this Super Bowl game. David Woodley was the starting quarterback, and he wasn't very good. But the Dolphins were excellent defensively uh, during that strike-shortened 82 uh, season. And they had shut out the Jets in the AFC title game 14 to nothing. Uh, but they had Woodley at quarterback. They had that veteran Don Strock, um, you know, if needed uh, to come into the game. I'll tell you right now in that Super Bowl game, David Woodley was four for 14 in the game as the starting quarterback for 97 yards. One play generated 76 of those yards, and that play came early in the first quarter. Second down and six at the 24. 8.28 left, first quarter. That's Hardy in motion. And wide open is Cephalo at the 50. Could go all the way. 40, 25, 15, and Miami has a touchdown. Woodley to Cephalo, 76 yards, was a bit of an early gut punch for Washington, who had, you know, jumped all over pretty much its opponents throughout the postseason. Detroit, Minnesota, Dallas, you know, leading the, the Cowboys 14 to 3 in the first half. And so they were down 7 to nothing to the Dolphins, giving up a huge play uh, defensively. But after matching field goals as we approached the latter portion of the second quarter, Washington on a a long drive and it ended this way. Third about a yard and a half. And Theismann to throw to Garrett. Touchdown! (laughs) 
Alvin Garrett, uh, one of the Smurfs, remember, with Charlie Brown and Virgil C. Art Monk, the monster among that group. But Art Monk was out for the postseason, and Alvin Garrett ended up with three touchdowns against Detroit, a touchdown against Minnesota, a touchdown in the Super Bowl, five touchdowns during that postseason run. The score at that point after that touchdown catch was 10-10. to uh, But... On the ensuing kickoff, Fulton Walker, who already had a 42-yard kickoff return after Mark Mosley had kicked a field goal early in the second quarter, he was back to field the Jeff Hayes kickoff following the Garrett touchdown. From the two. 98 yards, and the Dolphins had a 17-10 lead at the break. And I mentioned Woodley's numbers, 4 of 14, 97 yards. Don Strock came in. He was 0 for 3 for 0 yards. The Dolphins on the day only had 176 total yards of offense and nine first downs in the game. Washington's defense was dominant. It also helped that Miami was not very good offensively. So the Dolphins needed that Fulton Walker kickoff return because really Washington was the better team on this day. Washington ended up with 400 yards of offense to Miami's 176. So anyway, the second half starts. Uh, Washington um, kicks a field goal for a 17-13 to uh, deficit in the third quarter. And then late in the third quarter, maybe the most important play of the game because if Theismann doesn't make the following play, the Washington Redskins would have been down 11 late third quarter in Super Bowl 17. But here's one of the most memorable plays of Super Bowl 17: Joe Theismann breaking up the Kimbo Camper, what would have been pick six. Theismann, that is. Oh, my. Joe Theismann playing defensive back on his own pass as it was batted into the air. Bo Camper, a former linebacker, now playing in the defensive line at defensive end, has had a tough day today. But watch him here as he almost comes with a big play. Theismann cannot get the pass off. Rolls back against the grain. The batted ball there. Now watch Theismann go up and knock it out of the hands of Kim Bocamper. And Bocamper said, it was my touchdown. So after Theismann makes that play, which basically keeps the game alive, because if not, Washington's down 24-13 to with a minute and a half to go in the third quarter against a really good defensive football team. I mean, Miami may not have needed to score again had they gone up uh, 11 in that particular spot. What people may not remember about that drive is it continued, and Washington moved the ball into Miami territory on that drive as the fourth quarter started, but Theismann threw an interception 
to end the drive. But the big difference was the near pick six, which wasn't, and the actual interception that Theismann threw to end that drive, which came early in the fourth quarter, and it was on a flea flicker, one of those handoffs to Riggins. He turned back and pitched it to Theismann, and Theismann threw a bomb to Charlie Brown, and it was intercepted by Lyle Blackwood, but at Miami's one-yard line. So the Dolphins had a chance to go up 24-13 to on an, inter- on an interception that they didn't get. They eventually got an interception to stop that drive, but started at their own one-yard line. Big difference because they went three plays, three yards, punted, and Washington, with 11.43 to go in the fourth quarter, took over at their own 48-yard line. And that set up the most memorable play in franchise history. There's Bill Arnsparger. Of course, he's made his defensive call. Let's see who'll win this battle of strategy. Riggins. He's going to go all the way unless Blackwood can catch him, and he can't. So there it was, uh, the most memorable play in franchise history, in my opinion, the most memorable play in D.C. sports history. Riggins, fourth and one with just over 10 minutes to go in the game, 43 yards, touchdown, Washington had a 20-17 to lead. Now the game wasn't over. You know, Miami just needed a field goal to to tie, uh, to potentially force overtime, a touchdown to take the lead. Now, they were a mess offensively in this game, as I've already pointed out. They punted on the next drive, and Washington literally took uh, took over after a very short punt at Miami's 41-yard line. They had the ball in Miami territory with 8.49 to go in the game. And it was basically the same drill that they ran against the Cowboys the week before with the lead. Riggins for six yards. Riggins for three yards. Riggins for two yards. Riggins for seven yards. All right, then Riggins for no gain. And then Clarence Harmon came in and he picked up four yards to move the sticks. Now we were down to five and a half to go in the game. Riggins for one yard. Clarence Harmon no gain, and then on third and nine, Theismann threw a pass to Charlie Brown for a first down with 3.45 to go in the game. And then that set up the play that I had mentioned yesterday and maybe even the day before that I'm pretty sure most of you don't remember. And maybe you do. I did not remember it, and I think I have a pretty good memory when it comes to some of these Redskins games and Redskins moments. So with three and a half to go at the Miami nine-yard line, uh, holding a three-point lead, Riggins goes for three yards. And then on second and six at the Miami six, this play happened, and I'm going to let it run, and I'm going to let you hear the conversation between Dick Enberg and Merlin Olson describe what happened on replay. Remember, there was no challengeability. There was no replay booth in 1983, in January of 1983. Um, but this is a play that uh, until I went back and watched this game over the weekend, um, I didn't remember at all. Again, uh, it's second and goal at the Miami Six with just about two and a half minutes to go. Washington leading 20 to 17. On the six. Riggins. 
with the six. Now, fumble the ball, and Miami, was he down? He, he was, was down. down. Rohn came up with the football, but after Riggins was down, and look who was on him, Theismann, who made a big, maybe the biggest defensive play of the game when he had a pass deflected and he knocked it away from Camper. Would have been a sure Miami touchdown. Joe Gibbs breathing a little sigh of relief over there as he realizes that they have dodged a bullet. Riggins rarely fumbles the football, and this one does not pop out until John hits the ground. Well, <laughs> maybe we'd better look at that. The official's ruling it's down, and the official had a good view of that play. A second look at it. Check it for yourself. Leg on the ground. Very tight. Another look at it. Oh, well, his knee was down. Football. Dick, I hate to argue with you, but I think maybe that was a fumble. And I'm sure that uh, Miami will look at that one many times on their projectors. And but we'll the official did have a good angle. We'll give him the credit for that. And we'll look at it again. It's his knee down when he loses the football. If, if the ball bounces loose as he hits the ground, it is not a fumble. But that is the question. I don't believe it is. I think the ball is out before his knee hits the ground. Merlin Olson was right. I have gone frame by frame. That ball was jarred loose uh, before his calf or any part of his knee um, hit the ground. Uh, that was a fumble, and that would have been uh, overturned. Actually, it would have been challenged um, in that moment because it was prior to the two-minute warning. Uh, Miami had a clear recovery on the play as well. Now, the guy that recovered the football would have been tackled immediately by Theismann. Now, he could have pitched it in that situation, um, but Theismann, you know, Theismann, it looked like, saw it as a fumble as well and went to to tackle uh, the linebacker that recovered the fumble. But it was a fumble. I mean, it, it, there's no doubt about it when you go frame by frame, that ball is jarred loose before any part of his calf touched or his knee touched, and they had not ruled forward progress stopped uh, at that point. At least there's no clear indication that forward progress uh, had been stopped. Um, it's interesting to hear them, you know, without replay being available, to hear Enberg and Merlin Olsen talk about the play and talk about how, you know, Miami will be looking at that play on their projectors, you know, on their film projectors. But, you know, looking at it realistically, even if it had been called a fumble, Miami's offense was so awful that day. Washington's defense so effective that day. They would have taken over from their own nine-yard line with about 220 to go, needing a long way to go for field goal range. And they had not done anything offensively really since the first drive of the football game for all intents and purposes. But Joe Theismann made it academic anyway on the very next play, third and goal from the six, uh, the game clincher. Theismann. Will he run it? No. He throws it for a touchdown. Charlie Brown. And that basically was it. Theismann to Charlie Brown, six yards out, 27-17 to 17 after the Mosley extra point. 
and Washington uh, was uh, on their way to becoming Super Bowl champions. Miami did nothing on the ensuing drive. You know, they couldn't move the ball at all against Washington. Don Strzok came into the game and went 0 for 3. Uh, and then Washington took over with about a minute 12 left and ran the clock out with Clarence Harmon actually in there instead of Rigo. Rigo was over on the sideline, and you'll hear uh, when uh, Enberg references uh, the uh, the MVP announcement for Rigo. Look, this game was really dominated by Washington. The final score wasn't necessarily reflective of how Washington dominated at the line of scrimmage. Washington, again, I mentioned this earlier, 400 total yards to 176 for Miami. 24 first downs to 9 for Miami. Miami ended up with 17 points, none in the second half, but really it was two plays. It was a 98-yard kickoff return by Fulton Walker, and early in the game, Woodley threw uh, you know, a touchdown pass to Jimmy Cephalo where the coverage just broke down, and it was a 76-yard play. I mean, Woodley in the game uh, was 4 for 14, as I mentioned, for 97 yards. Other than that, one play, 3 of 13 for 21 yards. Picked off once, sacked once. It was a disaster for him. They couldn't run the football either. Uh, they ended up with 96 total rushing yards on 29 carries uh, in the game. Uh, Washington was the better team. They really were the better team, uh, and they won it 27-17. to 17. Washington ended up, by the way, with 276 yards rushing in the game, led by, uh, you know, Riggins, 38 carries, a buck 66, Super Bowl record at the time. But also in the game, Clarence Harmon rushed the ball nine times for 40 yards. Alvin Garrett had a reverse for 44 yards. Theismann had 20 yards rushing. And Doc Walker took a reverse for six yards. Theismann was 15 of 23 for 143 yards, two touchdowns, and two interceptions. And Washington's lone sack uh, in the game was... Dexter Manley. Uh, their lone interception was by Mark Murphy. So there it was, 27-17. What's left was the countdown um, to uh, a championship, which includes Enberg waxing poetic on not only John Riggins, uh, but the Washington win. So I'm going to leave you with a few minutes here. Um, you'll hear the final countdown, the announcement of Riggins as the MVP, and then some of the locker room stuff where Jack Kent Cook uh, is handed the trophy by then-Commissioner Pete Rozelle, and then Mike Adamley, working for NBC in the locker room, does an interview with Jack Kent Cook and Joe Gibbs, and you'll hear as part of that, if you stick around for it, and I'll leave it all up here at the end of the podcast, a call for Joe Gibbs from the nation's capital, from President Reagan. All right, that's it for the show today. Back tomorrow with Tommy, but uh, enjoy these few minutes of the countdown to Super Bowl 17 and some of the locker room stuff. And Dick, when they stop to analyze the performance today, I'm sure that much of the credit will go to Dan Henning and Joe Gibbs for the brilliant design of this package. Not only the power running and taking advantage of what John Riggins was able to do with his body, but the clever way they used motion, the way they used the Smurfs in this game today. What a tremendous play. The announcement now, it's official, the most valuable player, Super Bowl 17, John Riggins. Dale games, even big ones, come and go. Scores are forgotten. 
somehow you always associate, once that name is in print, performance indelible, John Riggins will be remembered in Super Bowl history for his remarkable performance today. The first down, and with that goes any faint hope of the Miami Dolphins. Riggins, during the regular year, gained 553 yards. In the playoffs, he's gained over 600 yards. In the four money games of the playoffs, Riggins gained more yardage than he did in all nine games of the regular season. And he had gone to Gibbs, and he decided at 33 that he said, hey, give me the ball. It was that simple. He didn't talk much to anyone, the press, the coaches, maybe his teammates. Give me the ball. Gibbs says, you've got it. And the Redskins will take that right home along with some very expensive rings. 15 seconds left. John Riggins, the MVP, Joe Gibbs, the NFL Coach of the Year in his second season. Hail to the Redskins. Braves on the warpath. Victory for old D.C. Congratulations are certainly in order to you, your coach of the year, Joe Gibbs, your general manager, Pete, brother Bob Beathard, and this courageous bunch of Redskins players for coming back to beat an outstanding Miami team today. I think that you had the best record undoubtedly in the NFC, and you won three playoff games today. You were triumphant, giving our capital its first Super Bowl championship. Thank you very much, Pete. Thanks indeed. Now, there's a few things I'd like to have answered. Do we keep this? You do. Forever. Forever. This is ours. Second, you said we had the best uh, record in the NFC. My dear Pete, we've had the best record in the NFL. All right. Hail to the Redskins. Head coach Joe Gibbs, just your second season, and already you are a winning Super Bowl coach. You're feeling. Well, I just want to say that we're all thrilled. Part of this goes back to every Redskin fan back home that pulled us to help us get us here. I'd just like to say that I want to thank, first of all, God, second, Mr. Cook, Bobby Beathard, our fans back home, and our players. I'm just thankful for all those people in that order. God first. Thank you. Coach, it's at halftime it was 17-10. The Redskins were down the long Fulton Walker kickoff return for a touchdown. Momentum, obviously, on the Dolphins' side. What did you tell your team? I told our team that we've been in tougher spots than this. I said we were down 14-3 against uh, earlier in the year against Philadelphia and came back to win. I said we've been in a lot of tight squeezes. I said there's a lot of things haven't gone right for us in the first half. I said they'll turn around. I said I just got a good feeling about it and they all told me the same thing they said they did too we went back out and just tried to stay loose and play football in your wildest dreams did you ever think you'd dominate this miami dolphin team like you did this afternoon and tonight well i think that we've been uh, some people underestimate us because we're a total team we've been kind of a tough physical team and i think that's what you got to be to win the super bowl you got to be tough and physical and you got to take your chances we tried to do that today and just play our game that's all we wanted to do uh, I was a little surprised that we were able to move the ball as well as we did. One of the biggest enigmas in the National Football League, John Riggins. I played with him in New York. He was crazy then. He is crazy here, but he oh, had an no, unbelievable no. afternoon. No, that's unfair of you, Mike. He's I, not crazy at no, all. No, he's not we crazy in that sense. At all. <laughs> Mr. Cook's trying to say that John Riggins 
very intelligent person when you get to know him. He sets his own path in life. He sure helped carry us. He's a very important part of our team as a lot of other guys. This is a total team effort. All of our fans and everybody pulling together. Our family won this trophy. Okay, Coke Chibs, a very important phone call. Washington, D.C. on the line. Yes, sir. You know, Coach? Yes. Coach Ronald Reagan. Yes, sir, Mr. Reagan. Listen, I just want to say congratulations to you and the team of yours. You know, last week when I was trying to be heard, and I know you couldn't hear me. I can hear you fine now. Well, I was just asking if maybe now that the season's over and they'd like to help me up on Capitol Hill with some of the congressmen. Yes, sir. We're going to come back and try and help you put together the budget and a few other things. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Cook used to deal with a lot of money. He'll help you with that. Okay. Listen, last week I was thinking of asking Riggins they changed the spelling of his name a little bit so that it had an E-A in it. <laughs> but now this week, would he mind if I changed my spelling so that it had an I and a couple of G's in it? I don't think you'd mind that at all, Mr. President. I don't think you'd mind that at all. Okay, well, again, it was just great, and all of us back here are mighty thrilled and excited. Yes, sir, it's a big day for us. All of the Washington fans share in this. Every, each one of them has a little part of this trophy. Well... Coach Joe Gibbs, congratulations. Owner Jack Ken Cook, I know you have one thing to say to the Redskins fans. It's simply this, that this magnificent team of yours has the privilege of playing for what, in my opinion, are the finest fans, not just in America, but on the face of this earth. Thank you, you marvelous Washington fans.